Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Revelation 3, 14 through 22. It's the seventh church, the seventh letter, the last one. To the church in Laodicea. Revelation 3, starting in verse 14, the word of God. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love... I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pray with me if you would. Lord, thank you for your word. It is your word, inerrant, infallible, authoritative in our lives. We're grateful for it. We're grateful for the opportunity to to hear it, to read it, to behold it, to consider it, to have you use your word on us and in us and in between us, and we submit to it all. If we're pushing back in any way, resisting in any way, would you weaken that now? Would you soften that now? Any hardness on our part to your word? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here. We've felt it. We've sensed it. But even if we haven't felt it or sensed it, we know it because it's confirmed for us, again, in your word. We wouldn't be interested in your word. We wouldn't be here gathered in the name of Jesus, who calls himself the Word. None of it would happen without you and you causing it to happen. And we want to say to you in prayer, we want to ask you, request that you go all the way in our lives. Make us the people you want us to be, your people, living the lives you've called us to live, that you've assigned for us, and help us to bring you glory. Help us to not be lukewarm. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's not supposed to be like this. That was my reaction. My first thought when we were sitting in that expensive restaurant and I spooned my first ever taste of Vichy into my mouth. 
It was cold. Cold soup. I was confused. What is this? What's going on here? Take it back. Eat it up. What is this? It's not supposed to be like this. Picture of Vichy soup up there, by the way. Soup is supposed to be warm, preferably hot. I think I even blew on the spoon <laughs> before taking my first sip. So maybe that's why I developed pretty quickly a dislike for it because my food that I was paying for embarrassed me. And there's enough things that embarrass me. I don't need my food to embarrass me. So I know that Vichyssoise is good now. I know that now. I had no experience with cold soup back then. And maybe some of you never have. You've lived, lived sheltered lives. You, you haven't had the cold soup experience. Some of you, maybe you have, and, you know, you've had the, the cold fruit soup, you know, some pear soup or peach soup, which is just you're slurping juice with a spoon, but you're paying more for it than you normally would, <laughs> and there's sprinkles on it and that kind of thing. So Vichy Soie is thick soup made of boiled and pureed leeks, onions, potatoes, cream, and chicken stock. Usually it is served cold. And so it was explained to me by our patient waiter. Still, I wasn't interested. Cold soup. Oh. And, and maybe some of us can relate to that. We, we, we have the same feeling for warm root beer or cold fast food hamburgers. Or warm milk, even. And maybe some of you are fans. I know one who isn't. <laughs> or the cold yolk inside a cold fried egg. I'm feeling that. Yeah, me too. It's not supposed to be like this. Another example. We all met the guy, the pastor, right, who is more interested in theology or religious experience or whatever, or the church, then he seems to be interested in God. And whether we're right about that or not, we're turned off by that. And it affects how we view God and how we view theology if we're not careful. It's not supposed to be like this. Theology is the study of God and the, and the Bible, not the study of how you can sound like you know more about God and the Bible than other people. Not supposed to be like that. A human body is not supposed to be at room temperature or lukewarm. That human body is not doing very well if it is at room temperature. And yet that is how Jesus describes the last of the seven churches here. It's a real church. They've got their lampstand. They've got their angel. But they're described here as being lukewarm, as being room temperature. Starting in verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Like cold soup was for me that time in the restaurant. 
So the Christians in Laodicea were to Christ at this time in history. And, and really far, far worse because the, the, the cold soup is actually pretty good. It's prepared by a trained chef. Imagine instead a bowl full of water from the bottom of the Hudson River and set that on your counter for a few days. Just leave it alone to cure. And then put a mouthful of that, you know, spoon a mouthful of that into your, into your mouth. Yeah, you, you spit it out, right? And that's exactly what this is. That's a, that's a, a good thought when you, you think about what Jesus is talking about here. When it comes to Laodicea, there was a, a hot spring about five miles north. And that water would travel five miles down, to the Lycus, down through the Lycus River to Laodicea. And the water of the Lycus River there was known to be muddied and undrinkable. You have to spit it out. And so that's what Jesus is using as a description for the church. You don't have to second guess. Like, I wonder if he's happy with this or not. Nope, he's not. And, and look how stark and graphic it is. I mean, this isn't pretty, nice religious literature. This is fiery, offensive prophecy. And, and make sure when you're reading prophecy, you, you, you have the fire in mind and the, the offensive quality of it. It's meant to be that. It's meant to have that effect on you. You're, you're meant to read this and not say, well, I'm glad I'm not a lukewarm Christian. I'm glad I'm hot or cold. No, the Holy Spirit, when he's working on you, it's not a question of if. You're like, how much am I like a lukewarm mouthful of something that Jesus wants to spit out? And, and that, that, that work that's done in you, that's Holy Spirit work. That's Word of God work. That's Scripture work. That's why Scripture is not like other writing. Scripture is authoritative. We submit to it. We, we, we let it do its work. We come under it. And in this situation, a couple things we notice. Most commentators think hot or cold are both good. You know, cold would be good for a beverage because that beverage would be refreshing and enjoyable. Hot would be good because that beverage would be satisfying and relaxing. And we're supposed to be pleasurable to God. He's supposed to enjoy us. We exist for God's pleasure that's why we want to hear at the end of time, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to please him. We want to satisfy him, refresh him. That would be our life's goal. But we won't do that if we're lukewarm. It's not supposed to be like this. That's why this letter is so convicting, so devastating to read, so powerful. That's why there's memory scriptures from this particular letter because none of us as, as Christians escape its grip. You know, in honest moments, we all are looking about, you know, looking at our own condition. How am I to you, Jesus? And, and if that process is taking place in you, thank God. Don't, don't push it away. Don't, so I know I give myself an A. You know, you don't need a participation trophy in the kingdom of God. You don't need that. He has got so much more in mind for you, and we see that just in these words we're looking at today. It really is amazing. So another thing that people can be confused about is in that first verse there, verse 14, it can sound like Jesus is created. 
And that's a mistake. He's not created. He's the creator. So the same human author wrote the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, he was with God in the beginning. All things that were made were made through him. That, that's, that's Jesus. John talking about Jesus. He's the creator. He was there at first, not the first thing created. And that's important. Important to get those things straight and know what the Bible is saying about Jesus and, and to, to read carefully. I don't think you need a cipher or code or anything like that to understand the Bible or Revelation. It's helpful to have teachers, but teachers would be part of the Holy Spirit's direct ministry to you. It's you and the Bible and the Holy Spirit guiding you. And as a church, we support each other doing that because that's your walk. If you don't have a personal experience of the Bible on a daily basis, then you're not the Christian he's called you to be. You're to be in this book. This book is different than other books. You, you have as many copies as you need to have, and you carry it around, and you look at it on, on a regular basis every day. For many of us, it's the first thing in the morning. And we get in there, and we, we study it. We follow some program, some devotion. You don't need to have special insight. And, I, and more, the more and more I go, I realize, look, it's just you will get that. What you need, the insight you need will be given to you by the Holy Spirit. Even if it comes through a book or a teaching, even if it's something I say, and you say, oh, that's great. Well, you were ready for that. You were asking questions. Your mind was prepared for the insight that God gave you, and he used me incidentally, or he used another teacher. There's several good teachers in our church. He used one of them incidentally, and you with your relationship with God through your reading of the Bible now are growing, and that's really important. Because I hear more and more, and I'm hearing it too much. Well, I, I just don't, I can't, I don't really get Scripture the way you do. Well, yeah, you do. Do you just, just start opening the Bible? And in fact, I learn at least as much from brand new Bible readers as I learn from the big experts who write in all the books. Because the, the, the brand new Bible readers will see something and it'll, it'll stick out and it'll be obvious and they'll read it for what it means and it'll be like, oh, yeah, that is what it means. Uh, how many days have you been a Christian? You know, sometimes it's a matter of days or weeks. So trust God when it comes to learning about God and he'll work through whatever he'll work through in the church, through the church. Always it is the church, some expression of the church, which means people, the gathering of people, the worldwide group of Christians that exist right now and the Christians that were before and the record that we have of, the, of their teaching. But in all this, you, you want to see the beauty of God and his, his, his work. We're looking at we're thinking about you know, him as, as a creator. He, that's his masterpiece, creation. We're thinking about him as a redeemer. That's another masterpiece, redemption. And they're tied together. They're, they're, they, don't, they don't separate. And you know, as we're thinking about creation, we think about the globe, and we look, there's our circle of churches. Now we've come full circle. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. There's the last church. There's a circle right there on the map. It's a tiny little bit of symbolism. Again, you don't need a cipher for that. You don't need a decoder. You know, a special 
another book that helps you understand the Bible. And you can't understand the Bible without that other book. Always be wary of that. Always place the Scriptures above all other human writings. Always place the Scriptures above all other human wisdom or teaching. It is about the Bible. The more you can learn your Bible, the more you can absorb its truth, understand what the words mean, not just what the words are, what they mean, the better off you'll be, the closer you'll feel to God, you'll be to God, the more he'll use you, the more joy you'll have, the more peace you'll have, the more strength you'll have that will carry you through situations where you need resilience. It is resilience. It's it's literal, literary resilience, the Word of God. And it will change you. He will change you through it. There was an art auction. I don't know if you read about it. Paul Allen, his collection is worth $1.5 billion. And some of the paintings from Cezanne or Ciro or Botticelli, some of those paintings, just the painting, a single painting, some of those paintings are worth $150 million. Now, let's look at the actual ingredients, the actual materials for such a painting. You've got the canvas, old canvas. You've got paint, old paint. And you've got a couple pieces of wood. Am I missing anything? Probably not. So add up the value of those materials, just the materials. Minuscule, pennies, maybe. But somehow, those flecks of paint are on that canvas framed by a border of wood in such a way that it has this great worth. What made the difference? What one thing made the difference? The master's touch. The master's signature. And he wants to do the same thing in our lives. And he doesn't want us to be confused about value. And we can get confused about value. We can get confused about what things mean. And we see Jesus coming against that confusion in these verses. He says this, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, Poor, blind, and don't forget, naked. I think there's humor here. That's pretty funny. It is. And humor is based on incongruity. So you think you got it all made. You think that you are successful in every way that you can be successful. You climbed up the ladder, except it's leaning on the wrong building. (laughs) You missed it. You don't have anything that you need. And you've missed what's valuable and what's not. And we're prone to miss this, always. I don't think he's referring to physical blindness here. I think he could be, but I think it includes a a blindness of the mind. Because I know there'd be somebody who's physically blind who is not blind at all in terms of what this Scripture would be talking about. I think the same can be said about nakedness, not just about your clothing, But the idea of clothing is that you're protected, you're sheltered, and what kind of protection do you really think you have 
you who've arranged for your own protection. You've arranged for your own provision and done so in a way that is outside of God or renders God to the status of chore boy. When you need him, when you're down, when you need a little pep talk on a dark day, well, there he is. I can get to his book then and look at it, and that'll help me out. But it is my life, and I've got it all figured out. And Jesus says, no, you don't. That's why this letter is so powerful, because it applies. You know, they had clothes, they had money, they had buildings, they had resources, but they didn't have what they really needed. And sin had impeded their judgment, because sin lowers our IQs. Sin leads us to call folly wisdom and wisdom folly. But God wants better for us. That's why we're reading this letter. That's why the Bible exists. That's why there are warning passages. That's why there are prophets. That's why we can read about him wanting to spit us out of his mouth when we're lukewarm because he doesn't want to spit us out of his mouth. He doesn't want us to be lukewarm. And there's love behind that. And you want to feel that. You want to understand that he wants better for you and he's got better counsel for you than you have for yourself or someone else has for you. And that's another thing that we do as a church. We remind each other that we don't know what we're talking about, right? We remind each other that we're in great need and we're frail and we're feeble and we forget things all the time. I am amazed. I didn't know that this is one of the adventures of aging, how you can forget so many things so often and you get creative because you know you forgot somebody's name or forgot whatever you were thinking, and you say, well, I forgot it. It'll come back, but not at a useful moment, so I'm going to have to improvise. And I kind of like improvising, so <laughs> it kind of works. And then the thing comes back, oh, that's what, the, that's what it was. That's, I, now I'm remembering. Yeah. So this verse goes with the next. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable. I've had trouble with that word all weekend. Pitiable. So the secret to that word is emphasize the P. And I think I, I issued this as a challenge at the last service. Let's, let's all commit to use that word at least once today. All right? Maybe while you're watching the football game, right? That was a pitiable pass, you know, or something. Pitiable. Because we don't really use that word very often. So you're wretched, pitiable. Should we all say it together? Just have a special moment. You're wretched, pitiable, poor. Oh, that was powerful. Blind and naked. This is connected. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. That's better than real gold or physical gold. Gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to annoy your eyes that so you may see. So you see the, the, the trinity of provision there, if you will. You, you, got, you got the gold and the garments. And then I kind of struggled because I, I was looking for a word for salve, you know, because preachers have to have, if we're going to have three points, we're, we're just drawn to have them all start with the same letter. And there's some scriptural precedent for that, by the way. I'll get into that at another time. But you see sometimes the Psalms all start with the, you know, same letter, that kind of thing. So I, I tried a few things. Instead of gold and garments and salve, I thought, well, let me find something. So I, I tried the letter M. Money, mittens, and medicine. Yeah, thank you. 
C, yeah. cash, clothing, and curatives. Yeah, weak as well. Uh, here's the point. It's, it's full circle, complete, 360 degrees of promise, prophesied provision. I've got you. I have got you, says God. And to be a believer is to believe that that he will take care of me. I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he will add to me all these things as he sees fit. And he sees fit more than I see fit. I don't even know what fit is. I have to listen to him. Tell me what fit is. There's another set of verses that this reminded me of, powerful for me, powerful for you too, no doubt, from Isaiah 55. Look at these verses. Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Oh, there it is again. I don't know how many times I've, I've wasted my resources, my time, my days, my energy, Chasing that which I know won't satisfy. I know it's temporary. And yet the, the head knowledge has not gotten to my feet, and my feet are running after the thing. There it is. It shows both our, our tendency to folly. You know, we, we just will do the wrong thing. That comes naturally. That's a, that's a gift that you have and I have, the ability to do the wrong thing. You know, that's a gift. Not really a gift, but it's like a gift. It's just there. You don't have to work at it. So that is played out in these verses and verses like these verses. And as that plays out, as we see that, as that's displayed, so is the care of God the loving care of a loving Father who is looking out for you. And you're called to believe it, not to be cynical about it, not to roll your eyes at this, not to think this is too sticky sweet for me. You keep talking about how good God is. You keep talking about how good, you know, his provision is. But it's built into what is required for us as believers. So it says in Hebrews Chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's what we want to do. We want to satisfy him, refresh him. Can't do it without faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Those go together. He is good. That's part of believing in him. Having faith in him is having faith in his goodness, which then shows how wicked your fear is. Your fear is wickedness. It shows how wicked your anxiety is. Your anxiety is evil. It's not just something you shouldn't have that you should somehow try to get over. It's sin. It's doubt. You're doubting God and his goodness. And you're called to do the opposite as a believer. No matter what the circumstances may be. And we see this over and over again in the scriptures. We see it... In detail here, in a letter like this, we see it writ large in a book like the book of Job. Don't believe your circumstances. 
Don't trust your circumstances. Don't live for your circumstances. God will carry you through them. And God is always better than your circumstances and always stronger than your circumstances. It really does a number on you, doesn't it? It really does. Now, the problem with all this is the bad day, the worst thing that happens on the bad day, these things that we experience in life that we wouldn't call blessings. We, we wouldn't call them evidences of God's favor. We wouldn't call them good. We look at them and say, it's not supposed to be like this, not supposed to be like this. Now, bad things happen in life, and the, the challenge there, if we're not careful, those bad things that happen in life can lead us to have a bad view of God and his goodness. And Jesus reframes this for us in, in this next verse, which is, of course, intentionally tied to this verse. And verse 18, as we get back into our text, look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now, maybe you wouldn't fit your pain into this category. Well, this, I had a loss. I had something happen. But it fits in the family of all the other verses that talk about God not wasting our pain. He won't waste your worst day. And if you don't, Turn to him on your worst day, it could be a waste. All that pain, all that suffering you're going through for nothing. God doesn't want that. And he does call us to days of suffering. He does call us to go through hard times. Why would it say over and over again something like, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not because, hey, that's great coaching advice from you, Life coach Jesus? No. Fearing evil is sin. Fearing evil is evil. Because you don't fear evil. You don't fear whatever you're fearing if you believe in God. You're tempted to, but you obey the Holy Spirit saying, I'm not going to fear this. And I'm, I'm especially not going to act on the fear. With the help that you give me, Lord, I will, I will keep walking in the direction you call me to walk in. And I won't be anxious. Because you say, don't be anxious. Not because I read some self-help book that I bought at Barnes & Noble, but because you said, because you and your word says, do not be anxious. You didn't offer it as a suggestion. It's a command. You say over and over and over again, do not fear. I'm going to obey that. Now, just in these few verses, we realize that the things that happen to us, even the bad things, they all pass through God's hands. And that's important. I've heard people say, well, this bad thing, you know, God had nothing to do with it. He, was, he wasn't involved in this. And it just sounds so strange and alien to me. Like, how's that helping you? And, and by the way, uh, that doesn't fit the Bible. You know, if, if, if everything doesn't pass through his hands, then he's not the God of the Bible. He would be less than the God of the Bible. Let's put it another way. If Satan has a shot, then God is not God. If it is a fair fight between God and Satan, then we don't have the God as described in the Bible. It is not 
a fair fight. There is no fair fight. There is no contest between the creator and a creature. None at all. God will not be defeated. He will not be denied. And this is the basis for how he can comfort you on your worst day with the worst thing that happens. Because as hurt by it as you might be, as angry about it as you might be, you can go to God. You don't have to go anywhere else. And you can bring your questions. You can bring your pain. You can bring your complaint. You can find words for your complaint in the Psalms, in the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but words for complaints like the one you might have in your spirit right now will never pass away because they're worship, because you're trusting him on the worst of days. You're trusting that he's going to use whatever happens in your life. And for me, the greatest comfort here is that he's going to use my mistakes. He's going to use the, the bad days that are bad because I made bad choices. You know, the, the worst day, that's the worst day because I made my worst choice. And my worst choice is still the worst choice. And the bad day is still a bad day. And the bad thing that happens, it doesn't turn around and become sunshiny good. It's bad. But God can use that. God gives it dignity now to that. God makes that part of our journey home to him. And that makes all the difference. It really does. I want his approval, but as I study this, I realize if I get his reproval or his approval, either way, I'm good. I want the approval, the well done, good and faithful servant. But if he happens to say to me something like this now, you're lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I know that comes from the same heart that's passionate about my salvation because his father called him to be. And that's what you see here. You, you see the word passion displayed by Jesus. Just this week in one of my devotionals, they, they taught about the word compassion. It means with suffering. So when you have compassion for somebody, you, you suffer it with them. You feel their suffering. There's, there's an empathy that you have, an empathy that you have for what that person's going through. The word passion means suffering. So we call that, that week where he died, the passion of the Christ. So a lot of us, we, we, I, I, I'm in the wrong church. I don't want suffering. Give me the magic prayers that I can pray so I suffer less. Because more and more our culture is making us like animals where we run to pleasure and run from pain. But that's not a life, not a life at all. A life without suffering is no life. A real life has suffering because you have things that are worth suffering for in that life. And you don't want something less than that. And God doesn't want something less than that for you. That's part of his discipline. Part of what is difficult to take in the moment sometimes. But let the word of God do its work on your heart. Give you back your heart, even if you're going through a hard time. And if you're suffering, if you're suffering for something or someone, suffer on in the name of Christ. Don't look for a way out. 
We're always dropping the ball. We're always failing. Sin has so many opportunities when we look for a way out. How can I get out of this? And by the way, the temptation to look for a way out probably will never go away, especially if there's something painful. You're called into a painful relationship of one kind or another. I'm not talking about physical pain or physical abuse, but I'm talking about the the kind of suffering that so many of us endure in a particular relationship. So many of us endure suffering at work. And I've talked to people who say, I'm at work, I hate my job, but I'm the only Christian there. And I feel like God's called me to stay there, even though it's, it's suffering for me. For me, I look at my own shortcomings, my own failure, and I'm like, God, I'm just not up to the task. Finally, could you just get me out of this, get me off of this, get me away from this. I'm not the man you need me to be. And I suffer my own lack of character, my own lack of integrity. You know, I, I just don't have it. I don't have the strength, my own lack of insight and wisdom. He uses that too. Nothing's wasted. You feel like an imposter, that imposter syndrome thing? I get that all the time. I've mentioned that before. We won't waste that. He'll use that. If you got that, get with Jesus. He will make use of that in your life. He will. For you and for others. So he sets up now the proposal of Scripture. That's the next, the next verse. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. He's inviting you to invite him into your life. It always starts with him. Notice who's doing the knocking. Notice whose voice is heard. Notice who's standing at the door. He started it all. He causes your salvation. Always that. Always that. Don't let even 1% of your salvation fall to you. Jesus does 99% and I do my 1% because everyone's got to do their part. You're doomed. It's not going to work. You need 100% of Jesus 100% of the time. And he's the one. He's making the move. Look how beautiful it is. And look what he wants. He wants to share the meal of your life. Life is only lived properly if it's lived like a meal shared with God, I wrote here. And so as we read this, you want to ask yourself, what am I hearing now? Am I hearing him knocking? Is he knocking? Is he calling? This is where we get our concept of him wanting a relationship with us. As I mentioned before, this is it. I remember when I first became a believer, I thought, you know, most of the Christians I know have not read far enough in their Bibles because they haven't read this because it's all about rules. And when I came in the church, what I saw, and maybe I was wrong, probably I was wrong, but I saw a lot of religious behavior. And I, and I was getting trained on how to behave religiously. 
And I didn't fit in. I was, I was, I was trying to figure out how to look like a Christian. And I, I mean, I had a ponytail. So long hair. And I would say, well, every picture of Jesus I ever saw, he had long hair. And that didn't get me far. This wasn't about any of that. And, and maybe it was just me being self-conscious. Like, I want to make sure that I succeed in this new organization that I'm a part of. I want to fit in. Maybe better than fit in. You know? Climb a little. And as I read a verse like this, I realize, well, there's none of that. It's a simple meal. And he wants to be with us, and that changes how we live. It isn't about rules or rule following. It isn't about some program for success. There's a comedian uh, who interviews other comedians. I think you've seen the show on Netflix. And there's this one comedian that was interviewed. His name is Sebastian Maniscalco. And, and the comedian interviewing, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld, said, I really like your bit on company. I remember watching this, and those are pretty educational to watch for someone like me who's interested in communication and how that works. And he said, I really like your, your bit on company. And it's, it's a bit that's funny, but it's also poignant. And, and this man talks about company because that's something that we used to want in our homes. And our homes are still built for it. I remember growing up, just like the comedian talks about, where there was special cake maybe for when company came over. You know, he says, this junk over here, you can eat that, says mom, but don't eat the stuff we save for company in case company comes over. We had a room in our house called the living room that we were not allowed in. We were in trouble. If we broke the pane of the living room, we were in trouble. Don't go in there. That room was pristine and perfect, ready for company. And when company came over, it was awesome. Now we can go in the room. And now, you know, we're, we're, we're looking nice. Are you, what are you wearing? You can't wear that. Company's coming. Put on something nicer. If you have Jesus in your life, you have company in your heart. And, and that inspires your conduct. That inspires the transformation of who you are. You step up to that with his help. It's his presence in your heart, his presence in your life, his insistence on having a relationship with you, and at no time does he become less than God in that relationship. You've got God's coming over. Make sure we have the best cake. Make sure the room is clean. Don't you go in there, kids. Stay out. I don't know what it is about kids, at least me as a kid. Anywhere I went, a mess was made, and I didn't touch anything. I didn't do it. How did this happen? My classic answer, and I think I said it about 10,000 times when I was a kid. I don't know. So now when company comes over, well, if, if the doorbell rings now, it better be someone from Amazon, right? I mean, <laughs> I know the, 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 the mat says welcome, but that's not true. You know? <laughs> You're welcome to turn around, get back in your car, and go. I, I don't, we don't know who you are. We weren't expecting you. I grew up, our, our family was kind of all the way towards that, and, and Shannon's family was still big believers in the drop-by. So, I mean, we'd be going through our day, and then they're pulling up the driveway. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, they're coming by. 
And then Shannon was, oh, great, they're coming by. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Now they're here for however long they want to be here. And then you start to hear rumblings of goodbye. Don't be fooled. No, no, that's the beginning of part two of the evening with company. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing. And this is what God wants. He wants that relationship with us. And then, in the surprising way that he's been doing throughout these letters, God takes us, we would be satisfied with this. I know I would be. And he, and he puts it on a rocket. He puts rocket boosters on it and takes this thing and propels us out of our own atmosphere just in a few verses. Look at this, just a few words, two verses. The one who conquers. So we just were sitting down with him to eat. Now, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look at that. Does it really say that we will sit with him next to the Father? That's what it says. You're not leaving his side. He's not leaving your side, not even in heaven. And whatever else this amazing statement means, it means that we will be denied none of the blessings of heaven, not one of us. There's no coach section in heaven. It's all first class for all of us, every single one of us. Now, now we're inspired to not be cold soup. Amen? Pray with me if you would. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Your word is amazing because you are amazing. We seek to remove or have you remove anything in our lives that distracts us, that fools us, or that we let fool us into settling for less than you and what you have for us. And always sin would be that. It seems so attractive, but it is settling for less. Always, every time. Speak to us about this. Speak to us individually about our individual sins. Those things that cause us to be lukewarm. That cause us to be subject to be spit out of your mouth, as you say here. We know you want better things for us. You say so. As you say so in other parts of the scriptures too. That's why such things are written, because you want better things for us. Can we tell you, Lord, can we, just, can we tell you that we want better things for you in our lives? Could you work it out? Could you do what you alone can do in our lives? This is what we ask. Would you do this so that you're getting better things from us, so that you're pleased more so than you've been, you're satisfied more so than you've been, that we are cold in a refreshing way or hot in a relaxing way, a, a, a way that pleases you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, if there's someone here who feels outside of all of this, let them right now in prayer say, I, you know, I know that I, I'm not going to stand on judgment and, and make it on my own. Uh, 
I know that all my programs, all my self-help, all my religious efforts are for naught. I know that I need a Savior. I need to be rescued, redeemed, and you're the only one, Jesus. And I, I believe that now. I believe that now in this moment, in this church, on this Sunday, I'm believing it, and I'm standing on that belief, and I'm thanking you for it, Lord. Lord, I, I hear you're, you're knocking. I, you're, you're calling me by name with your voice. You're standing there. I'm opening up. <laughs> you've, you've done it. You've done it inside me. You've given me what I need to open that door to you and all that you have for me so that I would be yours forever and you would be mine forever. Thank you, Jesus. Bless anyone who's praying something like this now. And be blessed by our worship of you now. We sing to you, to worship you together. We know there's songs being sung all over the globe to you, and we're putting our song with those songs that we would bless you, that we would praise you, that we would worship you in spirit and truth. But even as we sing, we know as well that you speak, and we say, speak, Lord. We're listening. I want to hear from you. We know that your speaking to us and your ministry to us doesn't stop after the song and after the service, but continues. And we pray for that, and we thank you in advance for that. Thank you, Jesus. Now hear us as we worship you. In your name, we pray, and all God's people say, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.